You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 396, Leaving Neverland. Can we separate Michael Jackson, the man, from his music? The social nightmare of forgetting names and remembering Keith Flint. That's all coming up after Trash Can Sinatra's and Obscurity Knocks.
another in our short series of could have, should have, but didn't quite make it big. Mm. The album reached number 74 in the UK, and this single from the album made the giddy heights of number 86 on the UK wow, single chart. with a bullet, yeah. <laughs> yes, a very slow-moving bullet. Um, but, a, but a great band with a history of writing and recording lovely pop songs filled with um, joyous harmonies from the 1990 album Cake. That's the Trash Can Sinatras and Obscurity Knocks. Yes, indeed. Bands who are sort of so undersung, really. Mm. Not even sort of sung enough to be cult bands, which I've always found surprising. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 396. I'm Terence Stackham, and safety boots and helmets must be worn at all times. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. I'm enjoying my kind of many sort of signs that are used to describe you. This is this is an excellent vein that I think you've tapped into. I actually have a sign that's up on my, and I think you might have announced this with me last week, I have a sign up on my, my, my studio wall that says Danger High Voltage that my dad once found when out walking around 2003, 2004 when the Electric Six hit was very popular and he brought it home because he thought I'd be interested in it but without having any idea that the danger high voltage was a hit and i've always enjoyed seeing it on my wall although when i was at university everyone that looked at it commented upon and i never thought this until someone said yeah but what did your dad leave behind that he took that sign away from there's obviously some sort of you know somewhere in the darkest woods of sussex there was probably an unexpected spike in people electrocuting themselves in woodland because my dad had taken the sign away i don't know anyway hello everyone <laughs> jules i I've, I've got a friend who cannot understand why i no longer listen to the music of john martin as i once did mm. after after i read the autobiography of beverly martin who was married to john martin she suffered the most horrendous physical and mental abuse and my my friend um says we have to separate the person from their music something of an old saw but it's very relevant this week i also now listen i listen to john lennon's music with less enthusiasm after Mm. reading reading cynthia lennon's memoirs now in the last week on hbo in america uh and on channel four here in the uk the documentary leaving neverland has been televised and its contents on the alleged behaviour of Michael Jackson has defied, divided opinion. Some previous supporters, like Oprah Winfrey, have changed their view and now condemn Jackson, whilst others, like Stevie Wonder, have made comments this week that remain supportive. So, Jules, is it possible to separate a person, their actions and their art? And, as a presenter, will you still be playing the music of Michael Jackson? Well, that is a good. That's a that's a really interesting question because last night I was DJing at a, a International Women's Day event, so I was sorted through my record box and I made the decision that I was only going to play female lead vocals. So I I was obviously picking through a lot of records and sort of going yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, and I came across a Michael Jackson. I came across Billie Jean, I think, mm. which I have played out mm. before. It's a very popular tune at a certain sort of time of night. It's something that seems to cut across age appeal so so it's something that 19 year olds dance very enthusiastic to as well as sort of people who are older um obviously i i, di- I didn't take it with me last night because it, it wasn't a female vocal but at the same time i did then find myself thinking oh if that wasn't the rule would i have put this in my box same thing with um i know it's it's not in the same bracket so mm-hmm. nobody sue but in terms of separating people from their art morris's increasingly mm-hmm. wearisome and increasingly inflammatory statements mm-hmm. about 
about sort of race and things like that. I used to occasionally play Last of the International Playboys, and I don't now. I will still play the Smiths on the basis that Morrissey was not the only one in the Smiths, although I have to be honest and say, I texted someone the other day and said, um, pretending that I like Johnny Marr's solo output as much as I like <laughs> Morrissey's solo output is occasionally a bit of a challenge, but bless him. He's done some good stuff, but yes, it's it's a bit of a reach. But I... I have to say, for me, I think it's... I'm beginning to think it might be about a question of degree. Right. And and some people might argue it's not really very fair to go after Michael Jackson because he is very much dead and therefore impossible to impossible mm. to defend himself. But my, my kind of caveat to that is that quite a lot of these allegations were levelled at Michael Jackson when he was still alive. Mm. And and my impression seems to be that, that whereas with some some sort of uh, perhaps more artistically cre- not artistic credible because he made some wonderful music but perhaps some sort of quote unquote cooler people mm. might have done things in their youth that were not ideal to say the least but or when they were younger but as they got older in some cases expressed regret for having done so and really did seem to change and be on a journey it seems to me from having watched um, I haven't watched all of this finding this mm. Leaving Netherland uh, a documentary but it would seem that this went on for quite a lot of Michael Jackson's life. There didn't seem to be. It wasn't kind of a youthful indiscretion. This really was. This really was a, a, a thing that happened. That was a real kind of. And it was a real. Pat, I hate to say this, but if the, if the allegations are true, then it was a real pattern of abuse. It wasn't just you know, oh, you know, it's you know, he's only twenty one or twenty two. Fame's gone to his head, that kind of thing. Which I'm not saying is right, but but this seemed to be someone who was one of the most. I think it's fair to say was one of the most powerful people in the world at one point, or mm. certainly in terms of the world of entertainment. Mm. And that was a systematic abuse of power that no one around him seemed to be intervening or could intervene on and there were people making allegations that weren't listened to and there is something very icky about it particularly as it was done this expression hiding in plain sight Mm. So he would often be on stage surrounded by children. I mean, that's something to... It made me revisit. When we think about his performance of Earth Song at the Brit Awards, we all, of course, think about Jarvis Cocker mm. disrupting the the appearance and then and then being sort of summarily hauled off and, and put in the prison cells for a, for a night. Although he did point out at the time that he had received sympathetic treatment in the sense that he was given a luxury cell that had some padding on the bench. But, um, <laughs> but there was... There was you know, even then, when you look back on that footage now, of course, he's surrounded by mm. small children, isn't mm. he? At the time, people weren't always, oh, isn't it strange that he's presenting himself? I think there was some concern that he was presenting himself as this strange Jesus-like figure. Mm. But there's, there seems to be even there seems to be an argument that it's even more cynical and sinister than that now. And I have to say, the whole, the the full extent of the horror is making me difficult to making it difficult mm. for me to go near it now. I must admit, and I know that. You know, people was. I can understand the argument that people's expression of themselves in their music isn't necessarily them in real life. So, so PJ Harvey always used to claim when she was, or she she got to a stage where she refused to talk about her lyrics in interviews on the basis of that. You know, that she said, "Well, no, I haven't have I haven't drowned my baby. You know, I haven't, mm. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. This, this is just art. This is just art. This isn't me. This isn't. You know, I'm not someone that writes. She's not someone that writes lyrics that reflect on her life. She does write more political lyrics now, but she doesn't. She's not someone that does this kind of storytelling thing.'" 
and you know there are people that that that, that do reflect themselves in their art and there are people that don't but I, I, for me it gets to it has to this is awful but I, and this says bad things about me but for me <laughs> It, it it has to get to a certain point, I think, for me to think, mm, well, what is what is behaviour that is undesirable and, you know, unideal and, and not very pleasant? And what is behaviour that is actually sort of criminally reprehensible behaviour? It's it's yeah, like like you say, there is a I think there's a sort of a, a question of degree in a line and I think that the line has very much been crossed in this case. I've watched I watched all four hours of *Living Neverland*. I, is... I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I did about half an hour, and I yeah. thought, I don't think. I don't think I can bear this whole thing. No, it's a very upsetting experience. It's very reminiscent of, of scandals we've had here in the UK with pop mm-hmm. stars and disc jockeys being brought to justice. And it seems like, actually, just as you said, another situation like this. A decent phrase in this sense: hiding in plain sight. It seems ridiculous that it was just glossed over. That here was a man in his 20s and 30s, roaming the world with different pre-teen young boys and, by his own admission, um, slept in the same bed as them. And mm-hmm. this was peculiar behaviour, but it was kind of brushed aside. And in retrospect, and of course, the, the, the other cliche, hindsight is everything in these cases, you know, what were the parents thinking? Were they so dazzled by the glamour? or warning signs became dimmed. But there's one huge, and it seems... I think very difficult question to answer in the in the light of uh, media, TV, radio now saying they will drop Michael Jackson from their playlists all across the world. This seems to be happening due to his behaviour with underage children. Why Michael Jackson and Gary Glitter and some other awful people, absolutely awful people, but not a now deceased disc jockey who, by his own admission, had relationships with underage girls in his 20s and 30s. Why, for the same reason, do we give a free pass and simply don't mention the same issues which are well known about a living heavy metal guitarist and a musical icon, a chameleon, a Corinthian, a caricature, much loved, who also had relationships with underage young people? Is it okay that they did it? You know, I, I I have no idea, but I think I would go back to my point earlier on that in some of those cases, their behaviour, they did discuss their behaviour in later life mm. and they did express regret and say that they knew that it wasn't okay, which for me puts it in a slightly, it doesn't make it acceptable, mm. but it puts it in a slightly different bracket to Michael Jackson, if his behaviour is true. And I, I know I'm having to qualify every other sentence here, but um, for, for <laughs> it's, me... It's very it, difficult. It's a very difficult yeah. um, judgment it's, it's, to it's, make. It, it is, and it means that, as I said, as I sort of alluded to earlier, in making the judgment yourself, you then have to reflect on yourself, I think, and say, well, why am I making these decisions? Am I making these decisions because someone used to play the field mice all the time? You know, it's mm. it's, it's it's difficult to kind of... Yeah, I, I, it's it's a line. I'm not. The problem is, is that I, I was going to say I don't know the answer, but of course this is a podcast, and that doesn't make for a dreadfully entertaining <laughs> listen. If I just go, well, I don't know. Next, um, but um, it's yeah, I, I'm not. Sh- it, it it isn't okay. I mean, to some extent, when we think about the times. It, I mean, I don't want to... Part of me really wants to run very far away from, oh, well, that behaviour was sort of more of its time type thing. But I do think that our attitudes towards what is okay and what is not okay have evolved over time. And I think that that the Me Too era... The Me Too movement would not have happened in the sixties and the seventies. Mm. Oh no, I'm so sure I you're think, right. So yeah. I think, to some extent, some behaviour can be contextualised on the basis that, well, 
we had different attitudes, not to consent, but perhaps towards age-appropriate relationships. And also I would point out that having... It's not okay, and I think that, you know, you are in a position of trust if you are older. I think even if you're not in a position of trust in the sense that you're a school teacher or, or your job makes you in a position of trust, you should... You know, you are old enough to know better, frankly. Having said that, though, there is a difference between forming a relationship between with someone who is 15 and someone who is 8. Mm. I think that I think there is a sliding scale, and I think I don't want to say, oh, you know, I hate that kind of oh, she wore shit, school shirt, she, short skirt, she had it coming. I'm not. That's mm. not my thing at all. But I think, like I say, it is a question of degree, and some of the the behaviour alleged in the in the Leaving Netherlands documentaries is is a is a step on a real step on from you know 15 16 17 year old audience members of top of the pops mm, okay on a somewhat lighter note um, yes indeed keep it light guys keep it light the social trauma of forgetting people's names oh, and man. oh what to do when it happens that's next right after x-ray Laying back, half rolled cigarette Not speaking at all There's no one else Out here It's clear I waited too long I guess attention
rather like this. I heard it on the radio the other day, and um, it's uh, the, the 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 artist, um, the the singer in in X Ray was also the singer, or I think still is. I think this mm. is just a sort of side project thing in a band called Daughter, who I really like. Um, her name is um, Elena Tonra, and this is her sort of solo thing. But Daughter, I'm a very big a big fan of. They've been they were signed to 4AD a few years ago, so are quite prominent as a result. Um, but this is from her. Um, her sort of solo album which is available now i believe out out now in in all good shops and uh, and presumably quite a few bad ones as well and on the internet perhaps the worst shop of all um the <laughs> album i think is called it's just called x-ray um it came out at the end of last year but i've only really just noticed it and that song was called crushing yes i i it, it passed me by when it came out but i listened to it this i listened to the whole album this week when you you know selected the track it's mm. a really good intimate collection of songs reflecting lovely the, the breakup of a re- relationship mm. but you know that doesn't mean that it's um you know all all gloom it's it's it's, it's a really good collection she's appearing as x-ray across europe this summer at festivals and also at the union chapel in uh, the metropolis of london on the 5th of april x-ray um Initially through sitting in the next row of seats for a few years at Chelsea and then through work and a, and a degree of friendship, I got to know the mm. late Richard Attenborough a bit. And mm. he was well known for... Friend to the stars, oh, there you, you are, yeah, it's just a little bit of name dropping there. Uh, yeah, he Lying, was, yeah. Yeah, he was well known for never remembering anyone's name. So he mm. simply hit upon calling everyone darling uh, whether they were male female <laughs> young or old didn't matter he simply called you darling hello I mean, darling. To be fair, i would i would i would give quite a lot of my possessions away to be called darling by richard attenborough yeah well that exactly because it, it did feel it felt warm and made you feel special i suppose until uh, perhaps you heard him greeting 20 other people on the film set in the same way but no it did it was, it was a lovely touch in your the Guardian this week, the uh, writer Stuart Heritage has a column based on that awful moment when you meet someone you've met before, but you can't remember their name. Now, I know in the great ocean of life, this is a mere droplet, but <laughs> at the time it happens all too regularly in my case. I get a cold, clammy whoosh of what I suppose is adrenaline making the situation even worse mm, yeah. to the point that within all within a fraction of a second I'm no longer listening to what the person is saying I'm just thinking oh who are you um we don't want we never want to admit we've forgotten the name because social rules dictate that it makes us look like the person is so insignificant to us that we can't even be bothered to store their name in our mm. memories so um you um uh, the woman from Hastings. <laughs> do, do, do you do the same as Sergeant Javid, the Secretary of State for Home Affairs here in the UK, who we're told in this Guardian article calls everyone Buddy? Oh gosh, hey there's Buddy. So, there's so much about that man that is that is oh man, <laughs> the Sarge, as I believe, or the mm. Sarge, as I believe mm. he likes people to refer to him, which is you know draining anyway i am um, yeah i i what i again i experienced this last night i was i was djing at a, at a party run by a, a, a couple who i don't know very well but i know and like them and they've seen me djing at things and they 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 run a sort of a, a night called lima beats and i'd never played at it before and they said would i play with them for international women's it was a lot of fun and it was well attended by a lot of their friends who i'd never met before who were all very pleasant and introduced themselves and i, I tell you what i, I ended up doing 
doing it takes me a while to cotton on to names and mm. and particularly in in, a, in, a, in an environment whereby there is a lot of loud music and it's quite dark that is not the best place to take on and then store information and there were some cases who were lovely people who I, I, I didn't hear their name first time I either didn't hear it or I didn't or I might not have heard it and luckily I'm blessed with people that I know who are very forthright so they were able to come over when I was talking to them and go hello Julia and they'd go oh, hello I'm so and so and then of course the other person would introduce themselves to them and I'd get a second bite of the oh, cherry excellent. so that's yeah. my kind of that's my kind of meeting people if you can get a third party in to do a sort of follow up hit on the person's mm. name that, that's how I remember I'm, it's, I'm usually pretty good at names but to be honest with you we talked about this before in the context of we have so much information thrown at us every mm. second of every day now the, the smartphone culture in which we live there is so much the fact that i can pick a phone up out of my pocket and look up who it was that wrote to music the music to such and such or you know whatever means that there is just homer simpson's old truism every time i learn a new thing it pushes an old thing out of my brain that really does seem to be me at the moment i so i have some sympathy with people that want to call me darling or love or things like that i do i do have some sympathy with that on the basis that i am increasingly struggling with names and i never ever thought i would be that person so so i have i have some sympathy with it i i i'm not really offended by it i don't find it rude i i can sympathize now on the basis that we do live in in such a kind of heightened culture that is so information based and as someone that is a massive nerd that does enjoy surfing the information superhighway <laughs> on almost hourly basis hmm. um no i'm I, i'm all right with this i i i have some sympathy i mean if you were working with someone it depends what context is in if you're meeting someone in a pub i can understand why you might struggle because like i say it's quite a a difficult environment in which to take on information if you work with someone and you share a room with someone or you share you know you share an office with them and you see them every day for perhaps five years to not have grasped their name <laughs> by the end of it is pretty frustrating but then having said that i have sympathy hmm. with richard attenborough because his film sets thing you know he must have worked with so many different people so many groups of people with whom you work intensely for about three months and then you move on one of my favorite i it's a difficulty with name story is that thora heard according to alan bennett alan bennett with whom she worked many many times and i think they had you know they had a friendship and certainly a rapport mm. she used to refer to him and indeed every director she ever worked for as mr de grunwald because she had once worked <laughs> with a director called mr to Grubbound, presumably in the 60s or the 70s, and that was the only name she'd ever remembered. So Alan Bennett was quite cheery about the mm. fact that you know, Alan Bennett, one of our sort of great titans mm. of, 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 of English literature and English sort of modern stage and screen and, and TV writing, was was always was happy for, to be referred to as Mr. de Grunveld. Although I think that, that says a lot about Alan Bennett's sense of self, a lot of good things about Alan Bennett's sense, self, sense of self and sense of humour, I think. But it does make me laugh so uh, i might ne- i might now start refer if i ever go on another podcast i will have to call the presenter terence <laughs> on the basis that this is this is how i've experienced it i in some circumstances i would find it rude in other circumstances look you know if you're in a job where you're going to meet 85 million people a day i can understand why you might want to fall back onto generics because calling someone a generic is still better than than not than going oh i'm sorry i forgot i don't know is it better than saying to someone i'm sorry i forgot your name or is there an honesty about the fact that you go, i'm so sorry can you remind me of your name please well i'm i'm kind of hoping i'm kind of hoping that with the development of artificial intelligence people's names will hover above them when you meet them <laughs> like it's 
or name badges or some sort of a, those necklaces that you can buy that women wear that have a name and a gold yes. track, is that something that we should be encouraging that's that would that would be very helpful if everybody else in the world could wear those except for me or t-shirts everybody else in the world wear a t-shirt with their name on it everybody except for me i'm still allowed to wear my normal clothes i cannot abide being called buddy or pal both seem designed um to give the upper hand and a sense of superiority mm, to the person who's yeah the yeah, person who's calling you buddy or pal Buddy um, is the, the, the epithet used, I think, when one thuggish person spills another thuggish person's beer yes, in an old-fashioned pub. You know, hey, Buddy, you spilt my beer. Um, mate, or, or, or someone, uh, it makes me think of a white van that is yes. parked and is blocking you from getting out. Oh, hey, sorry, Buddy, I'll be along in a minute. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Mate is okay, I suppose. You're right there, mate. Um, that's just about forgivable. Chief is also just acceptable because... <laughs> no one's ever called... Again, these, some of these words are quite gendered. So no one's mm, ever called me Chief. But I suspect could... that people might have called you Chief. They, they, yeah, they do. It, 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 but being called Chief means the speaker isn't trying to be the alpha. Uh, yes, so... That is nice, actually. Yeah. I, I quite love that. That's quite yeah. nice. All right, Chief. And the, the, one, but the one I can't bear is being called Boss. Uh, yes, boss, yeah. Yeah, uh, I bought a newer car recently from a London garage a couple of months ago and everyone involved in the sale kept calling me boss and oh, it and man. it did it really did make me make me squirm inside. But nothing though People that don't know me very well, particularly mm. men, and again, this is a gendered thing. There are certain words that I will take off women that don't know me that I won't take off men that don't know me. So, so I don't mind if a woman that doesn't know me. I went on a course once, and the woman that that held it was rather entertaining, <laughs> and she called me my love, even though we'd never met, and I was all right with that. And she mm. called me sweetheart, and I was fine with that. If a man that I'd never met had called yeah. me sweetheart skin crawl and that does seem a bit hypocritical but that's kind of that's kind of where i am really i am i yeah i i I find that yeah there are certain there are certain certain things i don't like at all but then some things that that i would take off certain people so there was there was a very very cheery lady that i used to work with at marks and spencer who was lovely who was called johanna who i often wonder what became of her she was very sweet and she and her daughter both worked there and they i can't remember where they were from originally but it was one of the caribbean countries and they used to call me precious all the time and i wouldn't tell but not oh, in a way that, that, that that's all right yeah thing. Yeah. Say that off anyone else. Yeah, it seemed to make perfect sense from them, and I don't know why. The one that makes me want to run away <laughs> and live on a desert island more than anything is um, a waiter or waitress who refers to me and anyone with me as guys. Uh, a t- oh, table oh. for two guys. Um, and it's often spoken by a teenage girl who could be my granddaughter in other yeah. circumstances. You guys, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Enjoying your meal, guys. It makes my teeth grind with repressed fury. So no pal, buddy or guys for me. Thank yeah, you very absolutely. much. Absolutely. Although having said that, I talked about this on Twitter once, how I didn't enjoy the use of guys. I find mm. it to be very irritating, not least to a group of women who mm. are not guys at all. And... A female friend of mine said, and I thought this was an interesting one, she said, yes, I agree with you every step of the way, but now I feel like a hypocrite because since I started, I don't think she taught, but she did some kind of youth groups, I think. She might have been volunteering at a a museum or something, and she was involved in 
taking small groups of as groups of smallish children around things and she said i have to say this is incredibly lazy but calling children guys always seems to work she said whenever she was saying to kids now come on guys she they always seem to respond well to it mm. so maybe it works in that context but having said that as i think it's become fairly obvious now you're not a child are you no and i, I can remember um some months ago taking my 90 plus year old mother to a local <laughs> hotel and they were the waitress coming across and saying you're right there guys and uh yeah that didn't go down very well my... i can't imagine your mother being a particularly willing recipient of that yes exactly <laughs> Keith Flint, the vocalist and dancer with the band The Prodigy, died this week. We'll be talking about his life and his death um, next after this earwormy tune from Suzanne Couch. You slipped outside so easy Trying to get away Seems so empty Starting from today Won't you keep your promise Put this runaway love on track Or I'll be in the shadows Until the day you come back
probably no surprise that uh, this track features the kings of rhythm, uh, Sly and Robbie. Um, she wrote and performed a, a really stylish set of songs that uh, combined R&B, pop, jazz and of course reggae from her 2005 album In The Rhythm, that's Suzanne Couch and Smile. I do like that. I'll be cheerily whistling that as I wash up for the next week. I'm sure. When, just when you're when when you're not um, running away from people calling you uh, my love uh, this <laughs> week, uh, what, what will you, where where will you be appearing? Well, I am. Um, so we're recording this on this day of our Lord, the 9th of March, twenty nineteen. <laughs> bless us all. And uh, no, indeed, God bless us, everyone. Um, I'm at a, I believe, a private party DJing this evening, and then uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, so tomorrow afternoon, uh, Sunday, the tenth of March. If anybody fancies a trip to the sea, you too can experience um, our friend Anna Page, um, who used to be in sort of nineties uh, female-fronted indie bands, and uh, myself and my band colleague, as a as a uh, an engineer from a studio. On referred to us which we always very much enjoyed he said oh your band colleague is downstairs which I thought was excellent <laughs> um, well, Go Bodicea are playing Ooh. our last gig for a while I think at, uh, at the Jenny Lind uh, pub in Hastings Old Town which is charming they have rooms available if you are a super fan um, from 4 until 6 so we're very much looking forward to that and Friday the 15th of March 2019 I make my return to the print works where I'll be DJing by myself from 9 to about 1 I think so uh, a few things to be done this week excellent oh, well, while, while you'll be Go Bodiceaing I'll I'll be um, watching Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, uh, trying to m- create their fourth win in a row against the the mm. chaps from Wolverhampton Wanderers. Well, I, I would I would say you had a good chance, but then that might have oh, therefore stop you from winning ever again. That's yeah, sorry, done it. Mm. Thanks to you for listening, and yes, always thank you yeah. to you at all times. Thanks to Rona and Hilly as well. Mm, always. Earlier in the week, we're recording this podcast. I think, as Jules mentioned, it's the 9th of March, 2019 today. It is. Earlier this week, we learned of the the death of Keith Flint from The Prodigy. Although there'd already been a series of hit singles here in the UK and a couple of successful albums, what brought Keith and The Prodigy to a worldwide audience was a, frankly, rather scary video for their number one hit, Firestarter, filmed in a disused tunnel in London's underground, the subway system. But, Mm. Jules, I I know from... You've you've selected, excuse me, Prodigy songs in the past. You've always been a supporter, a fan of Mm. Keith Flint and The Prodigy. Yes, I have. Just simply because they're... I suppose I was a little bit young for the prodigy. So the prodigy, the thing that makes them so interesting is that they went through really quite a, a sort of long-term evolution really as they they started off really as a, I mean the the essential person behind the prodigy is Liam Liam Howlett mm. who is a sort of a produced dance music producer type who started off you know producing this music in the sort of mid to late 80s and very much grew up out of the rave scene and the rave culture that was going on then and when it really was you know 20,000 people standing in a field again as Jarvis Cocker who's featured prominently this week so memorably <laughs> sang in a, in one of those pulp tunes but he the thing about, the, about him was is that he cottoned on to the fact that the the way to kind of present his music in public was to have personal appearances, PAs, and you kind of need a band in order to be able to do that, really. So he started to uh, to sort of to to find people that could sort of front it essentially, and so they had a they they he found a couple of dancers and and a, a, an MC called Maxine Reality, and the other two dancers, one was called Leroy, and the other one. Gradually, Liam Howlett then cottoned on to the fact that perhaps they needed a singer as well. But the Prodigy's music has always been 
for want of a better expression, in your face. It's always mm. been very kind of sort of loud, pulsating um, sort of electronic music. And they needed they, a shouty person. Yeah, they needed. They, it was. They didn't need a singer. They needed a frontman, which mm. was a different thing. And uh, and so Keith Flint, um, who was a long-haired hippie from Essex, um, <laughs> sort of had this incredibly frightening Mohican haircut that was kind of shaved in odd places and dyed loud colours, and. The, the point at which they really hit on something was they he had this incredibly sort of charismatic but aggressive energy and they came up with this thing called Firestarter and it is still the most thrilling record to hear I mean obviously now it, it now comes with this kind of R.I.P. Keith Flint thing to it but, but I have played it in public before along with Breathe and the thing about playing it in public is that the, the opening chord people instantly become excited people know what it is within about half a second and are always pleased to hear it and i i will never forget the first time i saw the video on top of the pops mm. with my nan and i just thought it was it was just it was life-changing it really was mm. and the 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 energy of it and and that video and the song is all about keith flynn it's all about his kind of you know him pushing it forward like you said the black and the striking monochrome video in the in the tunnels and it, there was just something about it that was so thrilling and uh, there was a, a I think it might have been Alex Petrucci someone wrote in the Guardian in, in their obituary Keith Flint that it was very telling that they that the Fat of the Land which is the album that that came from was sort of their most commercially successful I think and it was very telling that as as they as time went on there was one album in 2008 that, that didn't sell very well that was called Always Outnumbered Never Outgunned that hardly featured Keith Flint at all. And mm. I think after that, Howlett realised his mistake because really, whilst the prodigy was not completely Keith Flint, he added so much to their sound. He really was the kind of front person. And the, the, also, the thing about Firestarter was, you know, everybody loves a moral panic. And it was really one of those moments <laughs> where... where and, and I remember watching with my mm. nan, who was almost spitting with outrage at it she was she was i mean she wasn't anti everything she quite enjoyed song two by blur weirdly mm. if i remember correctly which came out the year later but no she was like what is this rubbish what is he doing this is offensive and you know she grew up during the blitz so you know it wasn't wasn't she, she had experienced such times of, of of sort of loud noises and violence before but there was something about it that was and again my mum used to have a really visceral hatred of i remember their single baby's got a temper and mum it's like this is a hateful record there's nothing about this that is good but i just but in the end that made them more appealing as a sort of teenager stuff that your parents hate immediately has a kudos to it and it's you know it's a tale as old as time isn't it with rock and roll and things like that but the thing that made keith flint's death so sad was that usually you know everyone's a saint when they die don't they mm. but it's genuine that everybody that had anything to do with him seemed to think he was a lovely bloke he seemed to be so well liked and so kind of seen as a really sweet kind guy i love the story about him running the pub in essex <laughs> had an open fire and uh, had a swear box on the bar and every time he went to stoke the open fire and someone made the joke um they would have to put a pound in the box for charity yes. <laughs> he seemed to be a top bloke and, and the prodigy are so unique in what they do i think that marrying of electronic beats and punk some people have tried it i think but and to some extent i think he used to get compared to johnny rotten a lot and actually public image limited is a is a sort of a comparison in that they were trying to go down that kind of 
almost electronic slash punk kind of combination but i don't think anybody has ever done it as successfully as the project and i am i am sad that we won't hear any more from keith flint because i just think they just hit on something that was really special you know you're talking about um, the, the coverage there i think even though the media especially the tabloid press here in the uk have been forced through several high profile cases to behave with a little bit more dignity mm-hmm. in recent years yeah. really dismaying to see how some newspapers covered the death of keith flint this week not only borrowing photos, I say borrowing in inverted commas, mm-hmm. photos of the inside of his house that he'd recently put up for sale, but also speculating wildly on why um, it seems he took his own life. Has, no, has nobody read? The, I mean, I know the Samaritan guidelines mm. for reporting on, on, on these circumstances. Now, if I know them, why on earth... You know, the, and mm. we could talk now about the toothless regulation system that we have in this country. Why on earth is this not being enforced? Every, you know, this is public domain stuff now. Surely everyone has, you know, you should have these taped above your desk, guys, if you are a reporter. Well, this sort of reporting, it really doesn't open any windows of understanding. It, I think it creates a kind of macabre sense over what is obviously a tragic time for his family who must they must shudder at the thought of what the next day's uh, newspapers will will bring but jules um what is what what is the track you've chosen for us to well, play out it, with? Is, it is fire starter because i feel that it is one of those i mean there are words that are sort of overused like you know kind of this idea that sort of seminal things that are seminal things that are kind of you know that are sort of culture changing but i it did feel like the fire starter video was a cultural moment i mean it it frightened elderly people and small children (laughs) which is always good stuff to have in pop music very few things looked like that beforehand there were attempts to imitate i think afterwards but just uh, just simply for the thrill of putting that record on in a crowded bar and having the first chord coming in and of course everyone knows it mm. Every, it, there is something that is so the, even the backing vocals are sort of thrilling and the fact that it samples the breeders as well is oh, yes. fantastic as well that kind of you know the, the couple of seconds and it samples all sorts of things and it's a good argument for is can you ever create something new out of samples and I think the answer is yes you can but a large part of that was what element are you bringing to the party to make it new and that that was that was Keith Flint, and I am terribly sorry to hear of his loss. But to always have this record with us, I think, is, is just such a treat. So, uh, so this is the prodigy, and uh, please turn this up as loudly as you can around small people and animals if, if you'd like to. I think that would be a fitting tribute, and this is Firestarter. <laughs>
You have been listening to a DAC Media production.